Good morning. Whether you're joining us online, over public television, or here in the church, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, co-lead minister here at the church. My pronouns are he, him. I'd especially like to welcome our visitors this morning. If you're joining us online, please say hello in the comments if you have them and let us know from where you're watching the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either in the comments if you're online or by turning to those around you if you're here in the church. Good morning. I'm Angela Smith, pronouns she, her, and I'm honored to be your lay leader this morning. Please join me in the words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship today is the covenant between our Unitarian Universalist congregations, the current religious principles that bind us together as a faith. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregations, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. The goal of world community with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Respect for the inter interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. This congregation has a mission. It's our common religious purpose. It guides our decision-making, our programs and ministries. We emblazoned it on our wall, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our Director of Religious Education, Kelly Stokes, is out sick today, so our story for all ages will be up on the video screens. It is about making promises and getting back into right relationship if we don't live up to those promises. Key promise. I was making a picture for my teacher, Mr. Pushkin. I ran out of my favorite color. I asked my friend Allison if I could borrow her paints. 
Just don't use up all the pink, she said. I won't, I said. I promise. I worked very hard on the picture. It looked good. I gave the picture to Mr. Pushkin. What a terrific painting, he said. It's so pink. You mean it's pinkerific, I said. Allison was coming over to get her paint set. Some of the colors were empty. Uh-oh, what was I going to do? Um, I'm sorry, Allison, I said. By mistake, I used up all the pink. Allison frowned. You also used up all the red and the white, she said. Well, red and white make pink, so really, it's all pink, I said. Allison was angry. You said you wouldn't use up all the pink paint, said Allison. You promised. I'm really, really sorry, Allison, I said again. Allison took her paint set and walked away. Allison did not sit with me at lunch. I sat alone. I ate my jelly sandwich. Jelly does not taste pink or yummy if you are eating all by yourself. Then I thought of something. I went back to the classroom. I made Allison a card to apologize. This card is very blue, I said to Allison. There were no other colors. Almost everybody is out of pink. Thanks for the card, Allison said. It's not just beautiful, it's beautiful. Allison, I asked, can we still be friends? Of course we're friends, Pinkalicious, Allison said. I'm sorry I got angry about the paint. I won't get so mad next time. I was so happy. Let's play this weekend, I said. When Allison came over to play, I had a surprise for her. I gave Allison a new tube of paint. It's not even my birthday, said Allison. And that's not all, I said. Guess what? We got ice cream. We shared a pink peppermint ice cream sundae with raspberry swirl syrup. The sundae had two cherries on top, so we could each have our own. Some things are just too hard to share. Let's always be friends, Allison said. Yes, that would be fantastic, I said. Let's make it up, Pinky Promise, we said at the same time. Pinky promises last forever, I said happily. The end. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing in, breathing out, we feel the loving presence of those around us. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside place of greater wisdom. A place where the spark of the divine dwells within each of us. 
and breathing together. We enter into a time of sacred silence together, remembering that the sounds of small children and other human sounds are a part of that silence in this congregation. Breathing in, breathing out. Let us enter into that time of sacred silence together. I will invite you in a moment when the music begins to light candles, candles of sorrow, joy, remembrance, hope. As we light our candles, let us hold in our hearts the following folks. Amy Bennett, who has been diagnosed with endometrial cancer and will have surgery on October 11th. Also hold in your hearts Karen Cleary. She continues to recover from her heart surgery. Friends have started a GoFundMe campaign for Karen and Michael Kersey. If you would like to contribute, please see the link in the Friday email. Let us also hold in our heart Jenny Lowland, whose brother died this past week. And finally, let us know gratitude that Mike Harris had successful back surgery and says that he is recovering and without pain. I now invite you to light candles and as the music comes to a close, to maintain the meditative, meditative silence.
In May of 2009, same-sex marriage was only legal in a handful of states in the U.S. My now spouse, Wayne, and I had already been together for 18 years at that point, so we were already spouses in all but the legal sense. Still, we really wanted to make that commitment to one another. We wanted to speak our promises to one another about making a life together. We've been together 32 years now, so I'm thinking that's probably going to happen. <laughs> but at that time, we wanted to make it legal, even if it had to be in some other place than this, our home state of Texas. Now, at that time, gay marriage was only legal in Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Iowa. Iowa. <laughs> so we decided it would be more fun to get married in Vancouver, Canada instead, where it would also be legal back then. We boarded a plane, flew to Denver International Airport, where we then boarded our connecting flight to Vancouver. A short time later, our plane caught on fire. <laughs> it was just a little electrical fire with smoke coming out of the passenger air vents. <laughs> well, we made an emergency landing in Cheyenne, Wyoming. The plane was bigger than the airplane terminal. They put us on buses back to Denver, where we would board a new plane to Vancouver very early the next morning, this time minus the onboard smoke and burning smell, we hoped. Now... We would leave early on a Saturday morning, and our wedding in Vancouver was scheduled for Sunday afternoon. But to make it legal, we had to fill out a wedding certificate application, which for some reason in Canada at the time, you could only do at a drugstore chain, which closed for the weekend at noon on Saturday. So we were in a little bit of a hurry when our flight finally arrived at the Vancouver airport early on Saturday morning. We rushed to customs only to find ourselves in line behind a large group of heavyset men and women with gray hair, the men with full beards, many of them wearing Harley t-shirts, and one with a shirt that asked, have you been naughty or nice? They were there for a convention of people who play Santa Claus. And they were in no hurry to make it through customs. So we finally made it through, rushed to get our luggage in the rental car, and screeched our way to the closest drugstore we could find. For some reason, the marriage application process was in the photo department, where we finally arrived at 11.45 a.m., now, the man behind the counter was an elderly immigrant who didn't speak much English, but he was lovely and determined to get us legal. He even made another store employee help him out. We signed the certificate at 11.59 a.m. That would become only the first time we both cried on our trip to Vancouver to get married. The next day, we were married in a beautiful old Victorian home just across from the Vancouver Bay by a wonderful woman who had to have been a Unitarian Universalist, even if she didn't consciously realize it. 
It was a glorious, sunny, school, sunny, cool spring day. Flowers were in bloom everywhere. Now, since we had been together 18 years at that point, we had thought that this would be simple. Fly into Vancouver, say our vows, spend an afternoon in the mountains outside the city, and then fly back home all legally wed. So we were stunned when we got to the part of the ceremony where we would say our vows to one another, and we both got so choked up that neither of us could speak. Fortunately, our wedding officiant had been dog-sitting a full-size schnauzer named Marley, who she thought she had locked away in another room. Just at that moment, Marley broke free, came bounding into the wedding, a squeaky toy between his jaws, loudly doing this. She apologized profusely, but we urged her to let him stay. Okay, we practically begged for Marley to stay. He did. He sat right between us, our little best guy, periodically punctuating our promises to one another with. (laughs) And so we made it through the rest of the ceremony with great humor and joy. I'm still wearing the ring from when we bought each other rings in those mountains outside of Vancouver. This morning, we're exploring the concept of covenant, sacred promises we make to one another about how we will dwell together in right relationship, in the ways of love. Covenant making is an ancient tradition within the Abrahamic religions, and in fact, a concept of sacred promise making is present within most world religions. So, even in our modern, more secular world, this long history of promise making may help explain why covenanting can hold such a powerful place within our psyches. Like when Wayne and I got so emotional over making our wedding vows to one another. After all, marriage vows are a covenant. Apparently, those sacred vows were so vital to me and Wayne that we decided we had to get married again twice since that fateful trip to Vancouver. Once at the Travis County Clerk's Office after the Supreme Court legalized it across the country, and again here at this church when we renewed our vows for our 25th anniversary. Hey, at least if Wayne and I are going to keep getting married over and over again, we're doing it with each other. And covenant is a vital part of our Unitarian Universalist tradition also. We're a religion without a set of prescribed beliefs. So relationships that call us toward collective liberation through a set of loving promises we make to one another in our world is what binds together our varied theological perspectives. We can share loving promises even if we do not always share the exact same beliefs. If you're new to Unitarian Universalism and or this church, our call to worship earlier was a set of principles that our UU congregations covenant to affirm and promote together. 
And that covenant that we all read together is the current version of the promises that participants in this church make to one another. So this ancient tradition of covenant is what instills it so deeply within our collective unconscious and makes makes the idea of promise-making so holy to us. And yet, I also think that tradition may contain warnings for us about how we construct our covenants and live them out. For instance, the Hebrew scriptures are filled with covenants made between God and God's people. One of them is the covenant God makes with Noah after deciding that the people of the world have been very wicked and therefore the only choice is to flood the entire planet, drowning all life, except for those that Noah brought aboard a huge floating ark. After the flood, though, God sends a giant, beautiful rainbow as a symbol of God's promise never to flood the entire planet again. Though God does go on to do a lot of other horrible things to humans. All of which raises the question, is covenant possible when one side is all-powerful? And a tad bit temperamental. Now, this may be best illustrated by the story of Job in the Bible, a pious and God-fearing man. God makes a bet with one of the angels that Job will remain faithful no matter what happens to him. So they send many plagues upon Job, killing his entire family and destroying everything he has. Well, eventually, Job accuses God of a serious breach of covenant, to which God essentially replies, Yeah, well, I'm God, so too bad. (laughs) Now, God does eventually restore Job to his prior status, and I'm having a bit of fun with an overly literal interpretation of these biblical stories, but still... Still, there's a warning here for us about approaching covenant-making within relationships of unequal power. So, for instance, when white culture is dominant, we must be exceedingly careful that our covenants don't just enshrine the mores of that white culture. In the movie History of the World, Part 1, Mel Brooks retells the biblical story of when Moses went up on the mountaintop and heard the voice of God. God burned on the stone tablets commandments that the Israelites were to obey as a part of their covenant with God's. Now, in the Mel Brooks telling, Moses comes down from the mountaintop with three such stone tablets of five commandments each. My people, Moses declares, hear me. The Lord has given to us these 15. And he drops one of the tablets and it shatters into pieces. Ten. Ten commandments for all to obey. Now that's a satirical take on it. Yet I think this also contains a kernel of truth about our promises we make to one another. They must be sacred. They cannot be frivolous to us. They cannot be just words on paper or on stone tablets. 
And again, they're more likely to seem that way if dictated by one person or group to another. Our promises must be mutually held and encompass that which is most vital to us for living out love together. They must inspire us to hold ourselves to these promises. And when we inevitably fall short of them because we're human, provide us guideposts for how to come back into covenant, get back into right relationship, like in our Pinkalicious story earlier. I'll close with one more story. When my grandmother was in the last days of her life, she went to my mom's house after she left the hospital for the last time. My grandmother had end-stage congestive heart failure and had decided to go on hospice care, but the hospice folks could only come to my mom's house periodically, so the vast majority of caring for my grandmother fell to my mom. And that became more and more difficult as my grandmother grew closer and closer to death. She became unable to dress herself, bathe herself, go to the restroom alone. If you've ever been with someone who is in the final stages of life, they can seem to be existing between this reality and some other. My grandmother began speaking the language of her childhood, Czech, even though she hadn't spoken that language for many, many years before that. She got disoriented, confused. She started crying out from what seemed like frustration. She would sometimes show up in my mom's living room only partially dressed. At times, she became non-responsive and wouldn't eat. Not knowing how difficult things had become, I, I called my, one, my mom one day during this time just, just to check on them. As soon as mom answered, I knew things were going wrong. I asked her how things were. After a long silence, she told me that she had been lying on her bed crying. She told me all of the things that were going on with trying to care for my grandmother she didn't know how to keep going. She didn't know how to keep doing it. I hesitated and then asked, do you have to be the one to do it? After another silence, she said, I promised I would take care of her. My beloveds, that's a powerful promise made out of the deepest sense of love. Taking care of each other is profoundly bound up within the very heart and soul of our covenants. And so we, we had to find a way for my mom to both fulfill that promise and reimagine it in a way that was humanly possible. She got help. She came to realize that she didn't have to take care of my grandmother all by herself. 
We moved my grandmother back into her own home, where she was immediately more comfortable and less confused. We hired people to stay with her overnight so that my mom could go home to her her own house sometimes. I truly believe reimagining and renewing that promise both saved my mom and brought my grandmother much greater peace during her final days. And we renew our religious covenants like this too. They are living promises. We learn. We change, we evolve, and so too then must our covenants. That covenant among our churches is currently undergoing a review, which our faith does periodically to make sure we're still living into love the best ways we know how. Our healthy relations team here at the church is reviewing the church covenant based upon feedback they have received from some of you and at least in part to address some of the potential issues discussed today. And we want your participation in that. It's your covenant. It has helped this church remain healthy through so many challenging times. Tomas Medina from the Healthy Relations Team will be at a table in House and Hall after the service today. Please feel free to visit with him and discuss how to keep this set of promises we share alive. How together we can continue to bring the ways of love into full and magnificent being. Our great Unitarian Universalist theologian James Luther Adams wrote, Human beings, individually and collectively, become human by making commitment, making promise. The human being as such is the promise-making, promise-keeping, promise-breaking, promise renewing creature. And so, our religious vocation as Unitarian Universalists become continually renewing the promise of unity and universal love. What a glorious promise We keep. Amen. Please join me in reading the words to extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Now as we go out into our world, may the mission that we share inspire your thoughts and light your way. May the covenant that binds us together dwell in your heart and nourish your days. May the spirit of this beloved community go with you until next we are gathered again. 
May the congregation say, Amen, Amen. and blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.